thank you for an opportunity to hear from you today, Lord, and we pray that you would speak. Lord, as we, as the guys that were here to set up the parking lot and to run things this morning as we talked, Lord, and we looked at First Peter together, Lord, we were reminded that we were born again, First Peter chapter 2 says, through, or chapter 1 says, through your word. We were born again by hearing your word and responding by faith to what we've heard. Just as Andrew read, Lord, in our anguish, remembering the works, the things that you've done. Lord, how are we going to know what you've done unless, unless we read it, Lord, unless we spend time digest, ingesting this and digesting what we've read? Lord, and then we heard also in 1 Peter, Lord, that we are to, des to desire this, your word, you, Lord, it's who you are like a newborn baby desires milk and uh, not to take anything as a substitute but that's how we'll grow just like a little child grows Lord, we pray that that would happen this morning lord we would lay aside all malice and envy lord all all of the filthiness that we come out of this world with lord and we would grow from hearing your word from hearing you we pray this in your precious name amen so 1 Samuel uh, started, this is a book, uh, I'm not going to give a big, long, uh, you know, uh, rundown of what we went through last week, but uh, this is 3,000 years ago. These are people that, I mean, we, it's not like we can watch a movie, uh, maybe they've made movies about this, but, you know, here we are, we have the stories of their lives. And some of the things that are different, we were joking this morning, you know, we're talking about tabernacles and tents. Well, we've got tents. We can relate, you know. Um, we don't have a high priest here. You know, we, we don't have Hophni and Phinehas here, you know. But the situation that Hannah found herself in, barren, unable to do something for herself, looking up like Andrew read, perfectly fitting in Psalms 77, looking up in complaint and bitterness of soul and, and, and anguish, saying, God, wouldn't you just give me a son? I'd give him back to you. And the Lord working in her life. An amazing story has started. Um, we're going to kind of shift gears today, or, or the text really does that for us. And we're going to begin at looking not so much at Hannah or her husband Elkanah or the baby boy Samuel, but we're going to look at Eli, the high priest, and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Oh, in chapter 2, verse 12, we start this way. Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They were sons of Belial, which means they, uh, it's just the Hebrew way of saying they were worthless. They weren't flawed um, in the sense that they were trying to do what was right, but just messed up every once in a while. They were obstinate, they were arrogant, and they were deviant. They had left the prescribed way of operating as a priest and they were totally doing their own thing and it says that what they did was worthless um, the sons of Eli Hophni and Phinehas we're gonna read a lot about them and what they did they were corrupt they did not know the Lord so understand the back the, the context of the story the backdrop is that Hannah just went to pray to the Lord at a place where the priests or the people running the you could say church and no it's not but we could say that they're corrupt they're corrupt they're not flawed in the sense that they're trying to do what's right they're just totally totally corrupt they're worthless what they're doing is not right and everybody knows it um they did not know the lord you know some people find it really 
hard to believe. Other people may have no problem believing this. They've understood it. They've seen it. I was thinking about what I could share here. I'm not going to use a lot of details. Uh, when I was a teenager, I was involved in a lot of different church ministries. I tell you, you know, as an unbelieving teen, but like I liked going to church. I liked being around my friends. I liked, you know, the fun things that we got to do. Um, I guess all I'll say is that I found out very quickly that corruption is everywhere, right? One of my leaders ended up in federal prison. Let's put it that way. And it was somebody that I trusted, I respected, I looked up to, I spent a lot of time with. And I, I just did not see it. I didn't see it coming, but it happened. And so I can kind of relate. I mean, Hannah, it's crazy. She's going to a place where it's wide, widely known that this, these men are corrupt. You know, more so Hophni and Phineas. we're going to see that Eli is kind of a man of compromise. He knows what's right. He just struggles to do it. Um, we'll talk more about that later. But, you know, Jesus described the church or the kingdom of God as something that would be like a mustard seed. You ever hear this and you're like, oh, that's a beautiful picture. It's, it's as small as a mustard seed, but then it grows into this giant tree and all the birds of the air come and they nest in its branches. And everybody, you know, every once in a while you watch like a little kid's video and it's like saying that's a good thing. Well, that's not a good thing because the birds of the air, like in the parable of the sower, means Satan. It means evil, wicked forces. Um, and that's the consistency we see in Scripture. When Jesus shared symbols, they stayed meaning the same thing. And so maybe it's a shock to you, but when we, when we hear that, it starts as small as a mustard seed. And indeed, the church started that way, but there was unnatural growth because a mustard seed doesn't grow into a giant tree. It grows into a you know, medium-sized bush. There's unnatural growth, and then the birds came and they nested in its branches. What was Jesus saying? He's saying what's pure and genuine at the start will grow, sometimes unnaturally or not, not in a wholesome way. And in the end, in the last days, there will be all kinds of birds, not a, not a positive picture here, that will nest in the branches. You know, what Hannah and her family experienced was corruption in their local church. The corruption in the men that were supposed to be representing God. What is God and what, what does he want from you? And that's what we saw Hannah do. The priest's custom in verse 13 with the people was that any man, was that when any man offered a sacrifice, and we're going to get some, here's some of the things that they were doing, and it kind of gets worse and worse as we read through it. So here was the priest's custom in that day. <clears throat> any man, when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. And then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. So they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Look, you may be thinking, like, what's wrong with that? Well, here's what's wrong with that. God said, back in Leviticus, this is the way that I want the priest to operate. Here is the way that people are to offer peace offerings and sin offerings and trespass offerings to the Lord. And here is what, you know, the cool thing about all of these offerings, and I don't want to get too super detailed, is that you know, God set apart the family Aaron to be a priesthood, right? And then to provide for their needs, when a person would come with an offering, they would get part of that animal to eat. It's just that 
for Eli, Hophni, and Phineas, what God set apart was never enough. They weren't content with the very good things that God gave them. They wanted more and more and more. And so they left the way that God prescribed in his word. Do this, do this, do this. And they said, you know what? We're going we're gonna to take things into our own hands. And when people bring their food, uh, you know, how they came up with this, I have no idea. They made it seem real spiritual. They said, I'm going to take this flesh hook, this little pokey thing, this big fork, right? I'm going to stick it in here and whatever I get, I get. Okay. Now, again, to us, that's like, well, big deal. But if If I tell Judah to go out and stack wood, and I make it really clear, I want uh, 15 pieces stacked, right? Go out and stack some wood. So he goes out, and I hear the wood splitter come on, and he's splitting wood, and I come out, and I'm like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Like, I'm, I'm splitting wood. That, I figured that would be fine. Is that obedience? No. God said a certain way, he said a certain thing, and he, he expected these men to follow him, at least try to. And these guys are just coming up with their own way of doing things. So it goes on. Um, they did this to everybody that came. And remember, the people that were coming to Shiloh, the nation is in turmoil. There's not that many dedicated people that are coming and saying, I want to spend time traveling to offer sacrifices to the Lord. It's a rare thing. People in those days, at the end of Judges, right, right before this time, were doing whatever they thought was right in their own eyes. So... People are coming to this place and they're experiencing corruption, but they feel trapped. You know, where else do they go? Where else can they go and offer sacrifices? Um, but they're still coming. Now in verse 15, also, here's a, kind of the second thing it's going to share about uh, Hophni and Phinehas and Eli. Before they burn the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the men, to the man who sacrificed, give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. And if that man said to him, they, they should really burn the fat first, then you take as much as your heart desires. He would then answer him, no, but you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Therefore, the sin of the young man was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Now, look, most of 1 Samuel is not going to be about intricacies of sacrifices and what's presented and what's not. But I want you to understand the gist of this. You know, Hophni and Phinehas, um, they, they disregarded what God said to do things their own way. And we get an example of that with the flesh hook and putting it in and bringing them all up. They're self-serving here, guys. They're not serving the people. They're not following the Lord. And then the second example that the author of 1 Samuel gives us is that when men came to burn the fat, now when an animal, let's say, uh, let's say a nice steer, you know, like a nice, a nice beef critter comes, right? So God said, I want you to take all the fat from that animal and offer it to me as a burnt offering, like burn it up. Like I don't want you to consume, not the priests, I don't want them to consume any of that fat. They can have what's boiled and what's left over but the fat is for me so you guys like fat on your steaks because sometimes i do like when they come off the grill and there's that little pita it's like half fat half meat it's on the edge and you know you got to try your steak you know even before it gets to the table so you, you clip that off and you know fat i don't know if you guys like the fat of steak but i think it tastes great 
especially with a little bit of meat. Like I can't sit there and keep eating fat because that makes that'll make you sick, right? So here, this I find interesting. I don't want to make too much of it, but these guys said we don't want boiled meat, even though that's what the law says. We want it raw, so we can prepare it the way we want it, how we want it. We can have the parts that we want. So why did God want the fat? Well, think about it this way, right? God is sustaining the health of the priests, right? And the best way to sustain their health is by giving them globs and globs of icky, yucky fat all the time, right? Well, they thought the fat was the best tasting part, but was it the best for them? No. No. You know, there's enough. When I get a ribeye, usually there's this, and I don't know a lot about I need Baxter here to describe this stuff. But there's those veins of fat. Those are pretty good. You know, you have them, they're, they're small, they're in the meat. Now, I don't cut those out. I eat them and I think they taste great. But the big hunks of fat, I do try to cut those out, right? That's what God was saying. Take the fat out. You might consider it the best part, but guess what? If you just stick with the fat all the time and disregard the meat, what will happen to you? You'll get sick and you'll get huge and it will be bad. It will, it's not healthy for you. God is saying, let me have that part. You may think it's best, right? But let me have that part because it's actually not what is best or what would best sustain you. You can make a lot of analogies there. I don't want to spend a lot of time there. But these guys said, no, we're going to do it our way. We're going to do what I want. You know, verse 16, you know, a man coming with an offering would say, no, no, no. The law says you should really burn the fat. And they would say, uh, you know, then you can take as much as your heart desires. Then you can have your fill. But they would say, no, you're going to give it to us now or we're going to take it by force. You know, it kind of leads me to believe that Hophni and Phineas, we, we're going to find out that Eli is a huge man. He, it's just what Scripture says. But how could these two guys have enough clout or have enough, like, how did they get everybody to comply with what they wanted? I think they were, I was thinking about how to, how to say this. You took, like, Andrew Gibson and Al Whitney and Gabe Susan, and melded them together into one monstrous man. I think they were big guys. And I think they would come up to you and say, oh, you're not going to do it our way? Then we're going to take it, and you're not going to stop. And they'd work together, and they would do whatever they had to do to get what they wanted. And the, the end result, guys, was here's a church, or here's a place, a religious place, that is, is, is corrupt. It's not good. And, you know... That works on both sides. Therefore, the sin of the young men, that's Hophni and Phinehas, was very great before the Lord. Listen to this. For men abhorred the offering of the Lord. People hated going there. People hated being treated like that. You know, in Jesus' day, he called the temple, Herod's temple, this corrupt temple run by Pharisees and Sadducees and a Sanhedrin that put him to death, he called it his father's house right? And he went there often. And yet it was that very place that he entered twice and cleaned house and drove out all the money lenders and the money and the uh, people selling doves and all of that for an exorbitant rate, right? But the effect back in Hophni and Phineas's day is they made people hate coming to spend time with the Lord. You know, you may wonder, what, what's, what's the deal with sacrifices anyway? You know, what, what's all this about sacrifices? Why were they offering them? Well, the sacrifice, this is just a real quick way to explain it. Every time an animal was sacrificed, it was for 
a peace offering or a sin offering or a trespass offering and the sacrifice pointed to the fact that you want peace something has to die something perfect and without blemish and it's not you you've screwed up something has to die and it's not going to be you it's going to be that animal you, 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 you've, you've sinned unintentionally or intentionally. Something has to die. And there was a conditioning going on. And I don't think the, the truly faithful back then thought, man, that animal really took away my sins. But it was all a picture of a future sacrifice that was coming that would do away with man's guilt and provide atonement or covering, forgiveness for the mistakes we all make, whether intentional or unintentional. People hated going there, and they felt trapped because there was no other place to go. A huge contrast here in verse 18, but Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. And moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. So you guys remember from last week that Hannah waited a few years until Samuel was weaned and then brought Samuel as a gift to the Lord, as a loan to the Lord. Now understand that gift was first given to Hannah by God and all Hannah was doing, she wasn't doing something that was required of her, she was offering that gift back to God. And that's what God asks us to do with our lives. We're given a gift and we give of that gift back to the Lord. Um, what he lays upon our hearts. And for her, you know, uh, Hannah's faith is incredible because you think about, think about her bringing little Samuel, her little four, five, six-year-old, whatever he was, to a place that was corrupt and trusting Eli with raising her son. Um, I would say my perspective, I could not have done that. I could not have looked at what was going on. We're going to read more of what Hophni and Phinehas were doing and the type of dad that Eli was. I could not have done that. Hannah's faith in the Lord was amazing. Um, she would bring this little robe up every year for Samuel. As Samuel grew, she would come to visit and to sacrifice and see her son. But I like what verse 18 says. And I found myself thinking a lot about this because I'm a dad. And not all of us are in that season, but many of us are looking around the, the room or looking at you guys in cars. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child. You know, sometimes we exclude our kids from doing what we call ministry. Ministry is what? Maybe I'll just let that ring out there for a while. What is ministry, guys? Loving people serving people doing it as the lord would lead you to or instruct you to and samuel was not treated like oh you're little get out of the way we've got big important things to do you just you just stand over there we got this you know what samuel was treated like is and and i struggle with this i'm about to do a wood floor after church and i already told my dad i you you help me be patient because i want to include judah i want to show him how things are done and sometimes i get working i'm just like okay anybody that's going to slow me down out of the way but here's what in a sense this is what eli would do with samuel you ever been painting right and you got your roller out and then your little three four year old says hey can i help and you're like heck no <laughs> i want this wall to look good 
Well, sometimes it's good to go to a wall that maybe not everybody's going to see and say, hey, let me show you how to do it and work with them and not just push them away and say, hey, you know, you're going to mess everything up. But to start including them, to start teaching them. I mean, how is a kid supposed to learn if he's never shown? How is a kid supposed to feel a part of something as cool and awesome as the kingdom of God if you just tell them all the time you're just getting in the way and you can't do it as good as me, so step back, right? How's that supposed to happen? And what I love about how Eli worked with Samuel, even though Eli is a man, well, we'll talk about it in a minute. I feel like I keep saying that. Eli's a man that struggled with his own two biological kids. He gets this second chance from the Lord with this little boy. He doesn't deserve the second chance, but when he gets that chance with Samuel, man, he takes it. And he starts using Samuel to help him with things around the tabernacle. And I just thought, man, that's something for us to pay attention to. Because it's easy for me to relegate my kids to just, I'll just play, just do your own thing, and I'll, especially in the role that I, God has placed me in, like, I got, I got important ministerial things to do. And you know what? Sometimes I've included my kids, especially Judah, because he's a little bit older. It's a little bit easier with him. It actually really is. But, and he's come with me on a hospital visit. And you know who makes the connection with the person that I'm visiting first? My son. And I walk away from that visit thinking, man, I'm glad I brought him. Because if I hadn't, that would have been awkward and hard, you know? But he, he opens people right up. You know, there's things that our kids are talented at and good at that God wants to use them too. You know, Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child, and he wore this little linen ephod that Eli, I can't, I can't decide whether his mom made it for him or I think Eli made it for him. Eli said, I know God wants to do something special with you, and I'm going to entrust little duties at your level for you to participate in. And that affected little Samuel's life. He got poured into and blessed by his mom. And then Samuel, rather than saying, you're a little kid, you're getting in the way, Samuel included him. I'm sorry, Eli included him in doing the work at the tabernacle. I think that's important, guys. His mom would make him this little robe. He'd come up, she'd come up every year with her husband Elkanah. And verse 20, Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife. Samuel was a blessing to Eli. Yes, this is what I want to say, right? If you, and me and Jess were talking about this last night, if you feel as if Man, I've made so many mistakes with my children, whether they're young or they're grown. Look, there's no better time than right now to say, from now on, I want to listen to the Lord and I want to do what He says. And Lord, please give me a second chance with my kids or my adopted kid or my little Samuel or my kids' kids. Really, I mean, we can look back, I can look back, and me and Jess can, and say, man, we, we've made... We've made a mess of things at times. But what's preventing us from saying, Lord, help us not to repeat those mistakes and to move on ahead and to do things better, to do things your way, to do it with the right heart, to not be frustrated all the time, to not be impatient. What's preventing me from saying, you know, today's the day, Lord. Forgive me and I want to move ahead. And you know, 
if Eli, with his sons that he failed to discipline, was given a second chance, don't you think that the Lord might give us a second chance or a third or a fourth or whatever it is with our own kids or our grandkids or whoever he's called us to minister to? And Eli had this, you know, he blessed Elkanah and his wife and said, man, the Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord. Then, you know, uh, Elkanah and Hannah, they would go home. They would go back to their own home. And listen, the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. I love what Eli says. He says, your little boy is such a blessing. And part of that blessing to Eli was the fact that Samuel was a gift of grace, not just to Hannah, but to a dad that had failed the first time around. Right? I love that. I love that attribute about God. Because if it was just serve Him until you mess up and then you're out, boy, look around, guys. We'd all be out and quick. But Samuel, uh, Eli was given a second chance with Samuel, and boy, he loved it. He loved it. Um, I think he did everything with Samuel. And I think he, he really poured into this little kid. And notice what verse 21 says. The Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Now, we don't know a lot about her other kids, if anything, right? But guess what? Each one of them was the result of God visiting Hannah and blessing her with another child. You know, it's easy for us to think, well, Samuel's the glorious one, right? He's the one that we read a lot about. But the cool thing about the Lord is that each one of us is made in the image of God. Each one of us is created by God. Each one of us is given gifts and abilities that are unique to us. And God visited Hannah, and she had other kids as well. You know, God was involved with that. Meanwhile, the child Samuel, he grew before the Lord. I like what it says that he grew before the Lord. What did Hannah do with Samuel? She brought him to the Lord. What did Eli do? He included Samuel in serving the Lord. And what was the result in little Samuel's life? Samuel grew. You know, I've heard, I've said this before. I went to a church, this is another denomination years ago, and they called, uh, they called teens and kids NTUs, non-tithing units. And it made me mad. It made me mad because, you know, we've got we've got our little section. I mean, Freddie and Freddie and Erica are over there too, but they're just young and hip, so they're hanging out with the kids, right? Um, God has given us little people here and inside to pour into. Why? Because they're going to turn into big people with families and influence. And a, what can we do? Should we just ignore them like they're not there? No, I think we should bring them to the Lord and include them in the ways that we serve the Lord. And I believe that we will watch them grow as they participate along with us in what God has called us to. Me and Jess tried, I heard a missionary years ago share this. He said, when we pray about decisions for our family, we ask our kids to pray too. Not because they're going to choose, but because we want them to understand how important prayer is in our decision making. And we want to hear what they hear from the Lord and factor that into our decision. This was a guy with a bunch of kids that would pray, you know, where do we go next on the mission field? What do we do now that we're here? Do we build this? Do we do it well? Do we? Man, and the kid, I heard from the kid years later, growing up, he said, man, that set such a precedent in our life. We were not just the little kids 
that were in the way of our parents' ambitions and dreams, we were in it together. I loved hearing that. That's what, that's what happened with Sam. It was a beautiful thing. Uh, verse 22, I think, you know, uh, what we just read was kind of the highlight of who Eli is. He was given this second opportunity. But now we're going to hear about some of the problems that Eli had. What we read in the beginning was mostly Hophni and Phinehas doing things their own way, being greedy with the sacrifices, loving the fat. But we're going to find out that Eli is a man that I think he loves the Lord, but he's also a compromised man. He has, he has affections for more than just the Lord. We're going to see that, and he's going to kind of get called out before us. And there's something to learn here, too. Now, Eli was very old, and he heard everything that his sons did to all Israel, to everybody that came out there. And listen, how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now, what does that mean? I don't exactly know whether they had a little troop of like women helpers that helped in the temple that they would lay with and uh, sin with, or if it was gullible, vulnerable women coming to the temple looking for a spiritual man and they would step in and abuse the authority and position that they had to get what they wanted from those women. I'm not really sure which way that goes, but I do know this, in those days, that sin, especially for a priest, warranted the death penalty. And their dad, Eli, was in charge and could have administered that penalty, but chose not to. It's going to seem like in this chapter that he says some big tough things. But when we look at Eli, it's going to come later when Samuel has a dream and hears from the Lord or a vision and then shares some things with Eli. God is specifically, specifically going to tell Eli, you did not restrain your sons. We're going to hear Eli say to his sons, what you're doing is wrong. Don't do it. It shouldn't be done. And then we're going to hear God say, Eli, you did nothing. You did not restrain your sons. So what that tells me as a dad is, Disciplining my kids is more than telling them that something is wrong. Does that make sense? It's more than just pointing out that's wrong, you shouldn't have done that. It's providing a consequence and instructing them on the right way. Not just pointing out the error, but showing them the right way too. And sometimes that happens through modeling. Sometimes that's, that happens through us modeling literally like when we blow it, we model what it looks like to own it and repent and show them that we messed up and make that clear to them. That's an important thing to do with your children as well. So Eli is in charge. He's the high priest. These are his kids. And yeah, the young men and yeah, he's old. But here's what he says. Verse 23, he says, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all of the people. Know, my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. And when leaders fail, they cause other people to fail. When parents fail, we cause our children to follow in our failure. It's, it's a big deal. We have way more influence than we think that we do. Our actions, you know, what we sow... You think about sowing the seed, right? You sow a few seed and what comes up? A lot comes from that little bit that we sow. If we sow evil, what will come of that? A lot. If we sow good, what will come of that? A lot. Right? This is important stuff to hear and to get straight in our lives. 
Though he says, you make the Lord's people transgress. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, listen, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. Now that may sound a little strange, like the Lord wanted to kill them before they ever disobeyed, but that wasn't the case. It's, it's, not, like, uh, it's not like that. They refused to listen to the Lord, and so the Lord said, you're going to come to an end. And we're going to see that as we go forward a few more chapters into 1 Samuel. <sighs> Eli's mistake has been my mistake before. All talk. As a dad, all talk. I figure I'll just set my kids down and lecture them, and I'll tell them what they did was wrong, and they'll learn, and we'll all go forward. And I found out firsthand that that does not work. All talk is ineffective. You know, when I worked for the state of Maine, uh, we had some really, really great training sessions. One was called, and I don't, I still don't really understand why it was called this, but it's called motivational interviewing. And the point of motivational in interviewing was basically behavior modification in uh, ju ju incarcerated juvenile youth. And one of the theories that the state held to was that everybody's good, everybody's inherently good, and the reason that these kids have done things is a bad environment. They grew up in a bad environment. This is jail after all. They're going to do bad things because they're in jail. This is a bad, a tough environment. And what they, what they wanted us to do as staff was they said, ignore the bad and reward the good. Ignore the bad things that you see and, and focus really on the good things. And then the good behaviors, once you're rewarding them, uh, they will become more prevalent in these kids. And what they use for uh, proof that this is, is a truth is they look at how uh, experiments with dogs. Well, I have a dog. And if I ignored all my dog's bad behaviors, I would have a rotten dog. But I didn't. I disciplined my dog. Maybe that sounds evil, but I disciplined my kids too, right? I don't ignore the bad. I don't ignore the good either. Because if you hound your kids, you, you, can, you can affect them bad that way too. I don't ignore the bad and I don't ignore the good. I reward the good but I do not ignore the bad. And Eli felt just by talking that that was enough. And we're gonna find out from the Lord, from the Lord's perspective, it was not enough to just talk. Eli should have said, men gather with me, these guys are my sons, but what they're doing is wicked and wrong and they deserve to be put to death, let's do it. But he refused to do that. We're gonna hear kind of why after this short little contrast in verse 26, and the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor both with the Lord and men. That's, that's what Samuel was doing in this corrupt religious environment. He was growing bigger and in, in growing not in just a physical way, but before the Lord and earning the respect of men. In verse 27, then a man of God came to Eli, an unnamed prophet, you don't, have, you don't have to be named in the Bible to be important to God. I love that. You know, um, This man came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord. Let me tell you what God told me to tell you. Did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? Now what he's saying is, 
didn't I clearly show Aaron, back when Moses and Aaron came out of Egypt, didn't I clearly show Aaron and the priests that came from him how to operate when they came out of Egypt? The answer is, yes, he clearly showed them. A lot of people come to me with questions. A lot of people will come to you with questions, right? Your kids, your friends, your relatives. And they'll ask questions uh, about what is right and wrong. You know where you should take them? Right here. Right here. God's Word has a lot in it. And everything that these priests were supposed to do, Hophni and Phinehas and Eli, everything that they were supposed to do was written down. Why don't we read more? I mean, that's not a guilt trip thing. But I know, look, I was talking to my wife the other day. You know, Peter, James, and John, they're with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus says, pray so you won't enter into temptation. You know what? When I'm actively praying and asking God for help, it's rare that I enter into temptation. Right? When I have my Bible open, I'm saying, Lord, I don't know what to do. But I know, like I said, First Peter, you know, there's a great example. Right? Um, lay aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and as ev and all evil speaking, and as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. What are we supposed to do? It's right here. It's right here. Sometimes we'll be confused. Yeah, I get it. I'm confused a lot. I think you guys can know that and can see that and have seen it, right? But look, the priests went their own way because they just abandoned this. It was all written down, but they just didn't care. They wanted to get what they wanted to get. And so when people want to get what they want to get, what's the first thing they ignore? This. Who do they stop talking to? The Lord. Because this is clear. This is clear. And that's what this man comes and says to Eli. Wasn't it, cl wasn't it clear enough? It was written down. I mean, it's right there. That's how to do it. Why are you doing it your own way if it's written down right there? You know, um, I like that. I think it's pretty simple. I think that's pretty good advice. And uh, this man goes on as he's talking to Eli. Notice he came to Eli. He didn't come to Phineas and Hophni. He came to the head of the house. That shows that Eli had a responsibility. Oh, my kids are grown up. Eli is still the one that this man came to because there was a softness or a tenderness still in Eli. Eli could receive and hear that truth and do something about it. Whether he did or didn't, I, I, I totally, I, I'm not exactly sure. This man says in verse 28, Now did I, did I not choose him, Aaron, out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest and to offer upon my altar and to burn incense and to wear an ephod or like a special high priest little uh, uh, overcoat before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? This guy shows up and says, look, dude, did you forget that this is my house? This is my place. These are my people. And you need to do things my way. And the, the, the prophet isn't saying it of himself. He's speaking for the Lord. You know, God is a jealous God, right? God is wicked jealous. He wants things done his way because he knows his way is going to bring life to people's lives. Right? As a dad, God is not saying, oh, you know, come on, man, just follow me. You know, he's saying, no, I want it done my way because my way will bless your kids and your way will destroy your kids. My way will bring fruit. Your way will bring ruin. 
And and God and this guy's saying, look, this is this is you've ignored me. You've treated it like it's your tabernacle, your priesthood, and your 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 way of doing things. And God and God's not happy about that. And he said, Did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? Come on, Eli, is is steak my way not good enough? Is all the food and all the sacrifice and all the ways that I've provided for you, is it not enough? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded, not suggested, in my dwelling place? And here, here's the kicker, guys. Here's, here's the ac accusation. It's true. It's coming from God. And you honor your sons more than me to make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people. You know, verse 29 tells me that Eli's problem was compromise. His sons were doing something wicked that they should have been punished for, but Eli felt good enough just to give them a good old lecture. He didn't stop anything. In fact, he didn't stop anything because he was joining his sons at some level, maybe not in sleeping with the women that came to the tabernacle door, but he really had a hankering for the same kind of food that they had a hankering for. You'd be like, well, that sounds kind of petty in the grand scheme of things. God's not too concerned with what we eat. God was concerned with them obeying his word. That's the principle. And Eli said, eh, you know, I sh my sons are messing up, but you got any extra fat, boys? And we know that Eli was a huge man. And so I deduce, and, you know, maybe he had a thyroid problem. I don't know. But I deduce that he really enjoyed the fat and the things and the raw steak that he wasn't supposed to have. And because maybe it was early in his ministry that he enjoyed that and then he started moving away, but he never felt like, maybe he feels like we do as parents. Well, my kids have seen me mess up, so I can't really hold them accountable for their mistakes. And that's wrong. Today is the day that you repent of your mistakes and move forward and you do hold them accountable because it will be for their blessing and for their good. You know, we don't have to wait around. You know, God can forgive us today and he can change us moving forward. Eli struggled with that. And he struggled with honoring the Lord more than wanting the affirmation and the affection of his kids. Honor the Lord first. People will respect that. If they don't, it's because they hate the Lord. They don't want the Lord. Right? But he made himself fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel. And, and, and in verse 30, Therefore the Lord God of Israel says, and here God is going to pronounce um, basically a curse on Eli, on his sons, and on his descendants. And we're going to talk about what exactly that looks like. There's a lot of people talk about generational curses a lot maybe not so much in our country but i know it's a big thing in kenya i've got a friend that's a pastor there anyway therefore the lord god of israel says here's the pronouncement i said indeed that your house the house of aaron and the house of or the house of your father aaron would walk before me forever but now the lord says far be it from me for those who honor me i will honor that's a promise guys those who honor god god will honor and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed is his way of saying you despise me i won't honor you i won't honor a man that despises me behold the days are coming that i will cut off your arm not literally not literal literal 
cut off your strength and the and the arm of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house and you will see an enemy in my dwelling place despite all the good which God does for Israel and there shall not be an old man in your house forever but any of your men whom I do not cut off from my altar shall consume your eyes and grieve your heart and all the descendants of your house shall die in the flower of their age. Now this shall be a sign to you that will come upon your two sons, on Hophni and Phinehas. In one day they shall die, both of them. Then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before my anointed forever. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread and say, please put me in one of the priestly positions that I may eat a piece of bread. That's what this unnamed prophet said. Now let's work through it and that's about as far as we'll get. This guy is going to pronounce God's judgment on Eli's house. And it starts in verse 30 this way. I told Aaron that his descendants would be priests forever. God made a promise, and God is going to keep his promise. But that promise doesn't mean that Eli's descendants have to stay priests forever, because Aaron had other descendants. And God says, is basically saying, you won't honor me, then you're out. I'm done with you, and I will replace you. You won't honor me, you won't listen to me, you're gone. God can do that, and he will do it. And he did do it here. He says, I'm going to cut off the strength of your house so that there will not be an old man in your house. A day was coming, uh, we're going to read about it in maybe a week or two, where Eli would die on one day, Hophni would die, Phineas would die. Uh, I think uh, Phineas's wife would have a child. She'd go into labor hearing that her and her father-in-law and the Ark of the Covenant was captured. And she would die, though her baby would live, called, be called Ichabod, the glory of God has departed. There was a day coming where his house would basically be put into ruin. Verse 32, And you will see an enemy in my dwelling place, despite all the good which God does for Israel. You know, God has talked a lot about like he's a best bud up in heaven. But look, if you despise him and you will not live according to what he says and you are actively working against him, he will cause you ruin to get a hold of your heart and hopefully change it. But that's his prerogative. That's his justice. That's who he is. And what he says is, don't think I'm going to stay your buddy in heaven just because you're a priest. You need to do what's right. And because you won't, I'm going to bring ruin to your eyes. You're going to look up to me looking for a friend and you're going to see an enemy. Well, what's the, what's the uh, way to fix that? To change, to repent, to call out and admit our wrong. That's the way, to, that's the way for that to change. Um, you're going to look for an enemy. Uh, you're, you'll see an enemy despite all the good that I continue to do for Israel. It's not like God is going to hold everybody else accountable for Eli, what Eli's done. God is going to hold Eli accountable. He's going to still do good to those around him. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. Look, I've got a big question mark in my Bible, because I don't know what that means. 
And I hope there are things that you encounter when you're reading that you say, I have no idea what that means either. I, I really don't get it. You know, is God pronouncing a generational curse on Eli? Like forevermore, your people, I'm going to bring ruin to your house forever. None of your kids or descendants are going to live till they're old. And uh, even the ones that do are going to have terrible lives. You know, God doesn't hold me accountable for what my dad does. What my dad does influences me greatly, but I'm my own person. What Eli did influenced his family in incredible ways. But each one of the men that followed Eli in his family lineage had their own personal choice whether to follow or reject what God had to say. The shame, people talk about generational curses like they're fact. The shame, shameful thing is, or the difficult thing is, if I depart from serving the Lord, who is that going to affect the most? My kids. And for good? No. For bad. And if they also walk in the way that I did, departing from the Lord, who is that going to affect the most? It's going to affect their kids. And you can see, you probably know of families that, you know, there were faithful men and women, followed by people that didn't serve the Lord, and that affects each uh, subsequent generation in profound ways. You know what's really cool? When a parent, or a grandparent, or whatever position of influence you're in, when we turn back to the Lord, guess who that affects? Each subs subsequent generation, right? Both ways are true. So I don't look at this as this curse that, you know, if you were part of, if you were Eli's great-great-grandson, hold on tight because you're going to die young and God hates your family. I don't, I don't look at it that way. I don't think you should either. Now, 34, you know, just to prove the point or to prove the accuracy of this prophecy, God, God tells Eli, look, your sons are going to die in the same day. And then verse 35 and 36, I think, are very important because there's grace here. God says to Eli, then I, I'm going to replace you. I'm going to replace your family. I'm going to move the priesthood to another family. That happens actually in David's day with Zadok. But anyway, then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. That's what God is looking for. And you know what? There's a little boy that's in their midst, that's growing in the Lord, and you know what set Samuel apart? He was a great speaker. No? He was a powerfully built man. No? He learned a lot of different trades and he was a jack, you know, he was jack of all trades. He could do anything with his hands. No? He was just really kind. No? What was it? He was faithful to do what is on God's heart and what is in God's mind. That means knowing the Word. That means asking God how to do what God says to do. I love that. Now, I don't personally think that, that verse 35 is just about Samuel because the faithful priest, the high priest, that's spoken of in Hebrews to this day is who? Not Samuel. It's Jesus Christ. The one that stands between me and God is Jesus, His Son. The one that intercedes between me and God, Jesus Christ. He's the faithful one that knows and does whatever his father tells him to do. And we're to follow in that example. 
I like 36. If we think of the faithful priests there, not as Samuel, not as Zadok in David's day, but ultimately being fulfilled in Jesus, right? A sure house that's built by God, Jesus' kingdom enduring forever. When I read verse 36, man, I see grace all over this. It shall come to pass in that day that everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread and say, please put me in one of the priestly positions that I may eat a piece of bread. Look, I think that was fulfilled literally in with Eli's descendants. You know, they were very upset. They, they lost the offering. They, they had to make a way for themselves. They had to beg to get by because they were replaced by God. But listen, if the high priest really is Jesus and we, we really have made a mess of things in life, I can relate to this verse because from the position of poverty and from the position spiritual poverty, I've screwed up a lot of things, right? And the position of a beggar, I can come up to the high priest and say, please, let me back in. Let me back in. And what will he say? No? What will he say? He'll take me back in. He doesn't take, turn away the broken. He doesn't turn away the contrite or the humble. He'll let us back in. And so when I read that, we, we, you know, when I read what we read today and I think about all the ways that I have made mistakes as a dad, as a friend, as a husband, as a son, I mean, I, boy, they can, that, that accumulation of faults can get real big, right? It doesn't have to stay that way. I can go to the Lord and be forgiven and move forward. I can look to Him and say, man, you're looking for somebody that just wants to do what's on your heart and what's on your mind. And if I do that, you will build me a sure house. And I, I, I don't know, there's some more stuff as we go on with Eli and Samuel. We're going to see down the road that Samuel has his own prodigals and prodigals that never turn back. Samuel, despite being a godly man, is not as if, well, Eli was ungodly and that's why he had terrible kids. Samuel's going to be a godly man, one of the godliest men in Scripture, and his own sons are going to reject the Lord. We're going to see some things. This is part of the beauty of this part of the Old Testament and what we're reading. And I pray that the Lord would continue to speak to us because all of the things that I shared with you today, man, they're, they're for me just as much as they're for you, right? I want to be, I want to build a sure house. I want to be faithful to the Lord. And I want the fruit of that in my kids' lives. Because they will affect many, many more people than I ever will. Uh, let's pray, guys. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it said, Lord. A lot, Lord, uh, here, a lot of details, a lot of things that we don't do sacrifices. We don't have flesh hooks. We don't burn the fat. And yet there's things that carry over to our lives today. Lord, am I living a life of compromise? Am I living a life where I'm all talk in my discipline? Lord, am I faithful to search out your heart and your mind to do what you want and not just serve myself, Lord? These are all things for me and for each person sitting here, Lord. And we pray that your word would have a real effect in our lives this week and be more than just talk to. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Hey, grace and peace, guys. God bless you.